Welcome to it. It's Husker Sports Weekly, episode number 107, your one-stop shop for all things Husker Sports. We've been off for a couple of weeks now because we go to school. We do. And school is not fun sometimes, and finals week was here. It is still here currently, but for the both of us, it's over. So happy, happy winter break to, to us too. So that's pretty awesome. And we're here to give you another episode of Husker Sports Weekly. We'll be a little bit more consistent now because it's break and we have the time to do these things. So we have a lot to talk about. We have Husker Volleyball. Their season came to an end in the Sweet 16 at the hands of number nine, Oregon. We have a lot of women's basketball to talk about, their struggles, and then their bounce back from said struggles, which has been quite impressive to watch. And finally, men's basketball. We haven't even talked the Creighton win, so we will do that today, and we will talk about how this team is so much different from teams past in in the past years of the Fred Hoiberg era. So before we get into all that, Connor Clark and Grant Hansen here with you. As always, you can find us on Twitter at C underscore Clark underscore 27 and at Hansen, not Hansen. Give it to me. Ian, not Owen. It's been a while. It has been a while since I've heard that. You can find our show on Twitter at Husker Weekly and search Husker Sports Weekly in the search bar of your favorite podcast networks to find our show. Let's get into it. Nebraska volleyball, their season came to... You know, an uncharacteristically early end, I guess you could say, in the tournaments. They beat Delaware State in round one, and they took care of Kansas. Combined, they won those matches 6-1 to one, um, here at the Devaney Center, and then they traveled to Louisville. They play at 11 a.m. at the KFC Yum Center, and my goodness, what a match between Oregon and Nebraska. You just look at the box score of this thing, and look, I'm not going to sit here and tell you I know everything about volleyball because that's just far from the truth here. But Nebraska wins the first set 25-14. Oregon wins the second set 26-24. So that's a great set right there. Nebraska wins set 3-25-22. Another really competitive close set. Oregon wins set 4 after being down late in that set by, I believe, 6. 32-30. And then they eventually win it in the fifth set 15-11. I wasn't able to watch what much of this match because, you know, projects and everything. But I was keeping close tabs on it. And my goodness, I mean, this was a toe-to-toe battle, and Oregon eventually just came out on top. It was too much for the Huskers to handle. Yeah, Oregon's a pretty good team, it turns out. Uh, and I, I definitely sensed that coming in. Uh, I, I was watching the match because I was writing for Husker Online, doing my kind of instant game stories for these matches. And it, look, even, even you know, like about a week or so ago, when or two weeks ago now, when, when Nebraska played Kansas, you know, I, I said... My headline, I think I said Nebraska survives Kansas three to one, and there were a bunch of people in my mentions, you know, my mentions on Twitter saying three to one survived. They won three to one. Look, if Nebraska dropped that fourth set against Kansas, there's no guarantee they make it to the Sweet Sixteen. In fact, I would say all the momentum at that point was with the Jayhawks, and so the fact that Nebraska was able to close out that fourth set and survive was a big deal, and that's something they were not able to do against Oregon because look they got into some substitution issues yes but they had plenty I believe they had two match points before the the final one where Oregon won the last I think two or three points of the set so they had opportunities they had plenty of opportunities before they ran out of subs to close the thing out and they couldn't do it 
And again, very similar to Kansas. I, in my mind, if Nebraska doesn't close out the four set against Kansas at the Devaney Center, there's a good shot they lose in five. So, you know, I, I think I could see something like that coming with Oregon. Uh, and then also, I mean, if you watch their second match of the regional against Louisville, Oregon barely lost to Louisville in five. And Louisville's a damn good team. So, look, it's not like Nebraska lost to some nobody program from the Pac-12. That's not the case. Uh, you know, It's a well, well-coached team. But Nebraska certainly had plenty of opportunities. And I think as you look back on the year, the biggest struggle for Nebraska was never being able to find a consistent group to set. You know, like... Nebraska is going back from the 5-1 at the beginning of the year, one setter, to two setters in the 6-2. Again, with two setters, you're substituting more, so you're going to have trouble as you get deeper into these these matches or these sets that go to 26 uh, or you know, about 28 on. You're going to run into substitution problems because you only have so many subs. So Nebraska was going to run into that problem at this at certain points in the year. And again, even then, they struggled to set consistently, right? Like, Nicklin Hames was not supposed to be a setter at all this year, and she ended up being called into it because, um, you know, Nebraska couldn't get what they wanted from Kennedy Orr. The interesting thing for me now, as we reflect on the end of the season, is that, you know, Ani Evans, she hits the transfer portal largely because there's no graduate program for her here that she likes. And so now Nebraska's down to one setter, Kennedy Orr. Uh, and so... I, I, my, my eye is on if if Nebraska decides to take a transfer portal setter um, in, in the offseason. That is, that is where my focus is, I think, the most for Nebraska. Because, look, I, like, you got to like where the juniors are at. You do. Like, I, I think your pin hitters, Lindsey Krause, Allie Batenhorst, they played really excellently, I think, against Oregon. They're really starting to come into their own fully as they become upperclassmen in the future. And so... I think you just need to get some setting that really straightens things out, whether that's Kennedy or getting to the point where she can really run this offense at the level John Cook expects, or if it's someone else in the transfer portal. Overall, Nebraska on the year 26-6, and 16-4 and in the Big Ten. So even though they, they came up short in the Sweet 16, still just another remarkable season for John Cook and his crew as they seem to put one together every single year. But good insight from Grant about, you know, what are they going to do over the offseason transfer portal stuff and the, the rotations late in the year. And obviously injuries didn't help with that either. You were right. without Kenzie Knuckles in that tournament as well, which which definitely hurt you. But Nonetheless, uh, a really you know impressive season. A lot of people are still really really proud of how this team ended up this year, despite you know fighting some adversity. And maybe as a fan, you'd like it to end up a little bit better, just based on the the start that this team had. Um, but overall, a twenty six and six record, sixteen four in conference. I mean, there's not much else that you can ask from a program. So. That is it for volleyball in 2022. We move on to 2023 for the next season. And once again, the Huskers fall up short in five sets to number nine Oregon in the Sweet 16 at the KFC Yum Center in Louisville, Kentucky. Before we get into basketball, a couple of new coaching um, hires for Matt Rule and his staff on the football side of things. 
I've been so consumed with basketball lately that, you know, football has kind of been a blur for me. So, Grant, what do we need to know about this new staff? Yeah, the biggest thing, I think, is obviously now there's a defensive coordinator. So that's that's a huge W uh, in a lot of ways for this coaching staff, especially when it comes to the recruiting trail, because now you can actually say, this is the guy who's going to be coaching you. And there was, you know, they couldn't do that early on. I think all the defensive coaches they had, uh, DBs, they had a DBs coach, then they had Terrence Knighton, defensive line coach, who I think has really, I, I think Evan Cooper, let's see, I believe Evan Cooper's the DBs coach. Um, I think he's been, I feel like he's been pretty active on the recruiting trail. The guy I've seen the most, though, on the social media side of things is Terrence Knighton making visits, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but you, you still don't have officially a linebackers coach, although it seems there's a likely name in that bucket. Um, so, but now at least you can say, look, we've got a, we got a defensive coordinator, a guy who has been pretty successful, I would say, inside the top 40 with both of his defensive numbers, metrics at, at Syracuse. Uh, and he runs a 3-3-5, if I remember correctly, which, again, five defensive backs. So, and the, and the thought process behind that is, especially at a place like Syracuse, if you can't recruit good defensive linemen, then recruit good DBs and, and put as many of them as you can on the field at once, especially if you really struggle to recruit linemen. Nebraska's in a position where it very well could be, depending on what Garrett Nelson decides to do, if he decides to declare for the NFL or hit the transfer portal, um, Nebraska could be weaker at the defensive line position. You're going to have Ty Robinson still in the middle. You're probably going to have Colton Feast still there in the middle. But on the edge side of things, O'Shawn Mathis, he's headed for the NFL draft. Uh, you get Jamari Butler back, who entered the transfer portal and then pulled his name out of the transfer portal recently, so that's helpful. Uh, but you're still going to be a little bit shorthanded there to some extent. And so a three-three-five kind of does make uh, some, some sense. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And again, on the recruiting side of things, um, that'll be fascinating as well. Jake Peets, by the way, Rams uh, quarterbacks. I believe he's, a, he's an assistant with the Rams right now. He was targeted by Rule to be Nebraska's quarterback's mm-hmm. coach, uh, former Husker. Uh, he is out of the running, apparently, it seems, uh, at this time that he will not be taking that position so three spots left to fill quarterbacks coach wide receivers coach um and then uh let's see linebackers so three spots left it is interesting by the way the 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 fact that there isn't a wide receivers coach at this time really does actually and, and i was i was of the mind before um the bicky incident went down a week or week and a half or so ago yeah i was of the mind that he was probably not going to get a spot on the staff, but I, I think considering the fact that there hasn't been a wide receivers coach hired at this juncture, it does kind of make me think, man, I wonder, I wonder if they were definitely trying to save a spot for him. So, um, oh, and, and then the other big one, good old Donnie, Donnie Rayola re- re- retained. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. It's, it. Yeah. Donovan Rayola back in business, offensive line coach, a lot of, you know, people outside of the program looking in may not like it, but clearly there's a reason as to why he's back. And it seems like this offensive line group likes him a lot and they trust him. And I think that's at least my take on it. It's important to have that f- familiar face, you know, in your position room with all this change going on, especially with a unit that, you know, needs the work that it does with the offensive line. Yeah, that's the buzzword, right? Uh, continuity and, and keeping 
again, like if you're if you're gonna make an argument, if you're gonna make a good argument, and it's one Stephen Sipple has made with Husker Online, uh, for the retention of Donovan Rayola, despite the way the offensive line played at times this past season, you're gonna say continuity because the guys had I mean the offensive line room has had three different coaches in as many years or this would have been I believe their third coach in as many years sorry so there there's an argument there to be sure uh obviously any anyone who has qualms about this hire or is nervous about this hire I think those feelings are right those feelings are rightly founded like it is Maybe a little bit odd, but I would say that I I, I just I, I struggle to criticize a lot of the hires that are made until this team has played a game yet. Um, now we do have a lot more we do have a lot more evidence in the bag on Coach Rayola than anyone else on this staff because he has actually coached here for a year. But I would say there has there was like some minor improvements for the offensive line throughout the season it, again it's like uh i don't know if i've ever mentioned this on the show but it's like our our band director used to say uh back in high school like um uh, you're all the way up to terrible now <laughs> like you've you've improved all the way to terrible well i mean that is kind of like it wasn't maybe all the way up to terrible but probably all the way up to poor um you know i like i think that wisconsin game there was a lot of struggles to pass the ball, to run the ball. But, I mean, I, I think by the time you got to like, I thought they played decently against Iowa. They, they couldn't run the ball. But I agree. pass protection was improved. And then you also have to consider, okay, mm-hmm. special teams coordinator, uh, Marcus Sat, or Mark Satterfield, the, the OC, he's got offensive line coaching experience. Coach Rule's got offensive line coaching experience. So, you know, if Rayola is deficient then there's a number of guys on that staff already who have experience coaching that position and could maybe pick up some of the slack. Again, those are all the variables at play here. Uh, Recruiting, that's a variable at play here. Um, He's been, Coach Rail has been targeting Mason Goldman out of Gretna. So there's a number, there's a number of things. And look, I think both sides of the argument Although the positive side is certainly much smaller than the negative side, I would say both sides of the argument have valid points to make. And we're not going to be able to really pass judgment on this until we see the team play against Minnesota and then Colorado in September of this next year. Colorado, they don't want to sell tickets to you, Big Red fans. Mm. You know what to do. Challenge has been accepted. We all know what happened in 2019. I want to see that again, and I and I want to be there for that as well. So let's make that happen, shall we, against uh, an old rival in Colorado. So new and familiar faces with the Nebraska coaching staff. Obviously more changes to come as the offseason progresses under the Matt Rule era. And he's been all over the place. He's been in Philly. He's been in Texas. He's been everywhere um, on the recruiting trail. So it's nice to see him get out and – he was at the basketball game on, on Saturday as well, so he was honored at midcourt and, and everybody in the building like that as well. So 
Speaking of basketball, let's go over to women's basketball as they are now 8-3. Started the year ranked 22nd, then ran into, you know, a, a pretty big struggle, to be honest. They went to twenty number 20 Creighton, lost 77-51 on the road. Then they go to Drake, they lose 80-62. to They have trouble with Tarleton for a little bit until winning 71-53. to um, They lose at Virginia Tech 85-54. to but ever since then, a 90-67 to win at Maryland, who just beat UConn, a commanding win at home against Wisconsin, 82-54, to and then a 71-46 win over Samford after what was the lowest combined score ever in Nebraska history for a first half. So they bounced back in you know quite a big way. They scored 29 points in that third quarter, and they were able to get it done, but Jazz Shelley, we, we knew about her, obviously, from last year, had a great season. If you don't know about her this year, then you must be living under a rock because she has been unbelievable. 29 points at Maryland, 31 at home against Wisconsin, and she's just been all over the place. Even when they're not scoring, her impact and her fingerprints are all over each and every single game. Jazz Shelley had 15 points against Samford in 35 minutes. She also had six assists. She was one of four Huskers in double figures. Markowski had 16. Widener had 15. She's also been really, really good. She had 11 rebounds as well, one of two Huskers with a double-double, including Markowski. So this has been quite the bounce back for this group, and now they gear up. They have three more home games left in this homestand. Wyoming on Sunday, then Kansas next Wednesday, and then they host Michigan to really open up Big Ten play. And then they open up the new year on January 1st at number four, Indiana. So if there was a time for the Susker team to bounce back, it was now. And I think Amy Williams has to be pretty confident about where her squad is trending. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's still some red flags. I mean, that first half earlier this – was that this week or last week now? Again, they run together at this point. But That was yeah, on Saturday. Yeah, so, that, I mean, that was – I mean, that's a red flag. I mean, let's – Let's be honest there. Um, but, you know, give this team credit. Like, they could have laid down and died on that East Coast road trip, and they did not do that. So, um, in fact, you know, they came out with some pretty major wins, or a major win against Maryland. I mean, you get trounced against Virginia Tech, and then you come back out and you're able to pull it together against, you know, Maryland on the road. That, I mean, that says something, right? So you won three in a row. I believe that's called a winning streak. Uh, and then, uh, again, Wyoming, Kansas, right? You take care of business there. And Michigan, obviously, is the big one, right? Like, it's a team that I don't believe is currently ranked. Um, but, you know, look, it's a very talented program, traditionally one of the powers in the Big Ten. And so that, I think, you have to be ready for, you have to prepare for, while not overlooking Wyoming and Kansas, and not having a dud game in there, um, sort of like you were afraid of having against Stanford, which, again, like 15 points, if I remember correctly. So um, that that is the most interesting thing to me as we as we move forward is – or depth, too. De- depth is also fascinating. And the status of Sam Hybe and some of the other pieces on this team, when can they all pull it together at the same time? That, that, that's another – piece that I think is really fascinating as we start to march towards January. Uh, 
And I would say, by the way, Michigan's number 19 in the country right now. And Kansas is ranked two, number 22. Kansas is 22. Yes. And the the fact that they were able to get both of those wins, though, with you mentioned no Sam Hybe, no Izzy Bourne either. She hurt herself in practice on Tuesday. She's been in a sling ever since. So Markowski's really had to step up inside. Shelley's had to step up. Widener has really stepped up. Moriarty had a pretty solid game on Saturday as well. She had nine points in, in that win as well. And, yeah, that first half, definitely a red flag if you wanted to point at one. But the response is what I look at the most, I think, because you score seven in the first quarter, eight in the second quarter. That's good enough for 15 for all you math majors. 29 in the third, 27 in the fourth. So something happened in that locker room. Yeah. And the adjustments were made, and out of all things, the lid was taken off the basket. I mean, some of the looks that Nebraska was getting in that first half weren't terrible. They just seemed very timid and passive-aggressive. But the lid finally started to come off, and, and they started looking like you know, the, the Nebraska team that we're used to seeing play. So you have to give credit to them. Uh, a really impressive second half. They did that against... Maryland as well, where they just blew it open in that second half. I mean, they scored 60 points in that second half against Maryland. So um, a a pretty similar performance, obviously not as high scoring, but if you wanted to compare box scores, Maryland and Samford are are pretty similar. But three home games coming up, Wyoming, Kansas, Michigan, then on the road at Indiana, and then at Rutgers. Those are the next five for Amy Williams and her team. They currently sit at 8-3. and three. They are receiving votes in this week's AP Top 25, and they are 2-0 and oh in the Big Ten Conference, and Grant said it. Three wins in a row. I believe they call that a winning streak. I believe you are correct, sir. So they're also 5-0 and oh at home, so PBA has been uh, quite the home court advantage, just like it was a year ago where Nebraska only lost one game that entire season, and that was to Caitlin Clark in Iowa, and they will come to town later this year. And that is, I believe, called the the Pack the Vaults or Pack PBA game because um, they want to sell that thing out. That was one of Amy Williams's goals um, at the beginning of the year. They want that place to be sold out for that game. And uh, if they keep trending in the right direction, that will be two Big Ten powers meeting um, at PBA, which will make for a really, really fun basketball game with some of the most electrifying players in, in women's college basketball on the same court. So let's move over to men's basketball, and it's been quite a couple of weeks, quite a December for them. And I say that despite them going one and two, but it doesn't really feel like that. So obviously the win at Creighton on December 4th, which was a Sunday, Creighton was number seven at the time, I hate to say this because I want Creighton to win now that Nebraska beat them, but Creighton's lost five in a row. They're currently six and five. So is Nebraska. But they beat number seven Creighton on the road, 63-53. Derek Walker, Sam Greasel have a game. They go to Indiana. They, found, uh, they find out Sam Greasel is unavailable to play because he's sick an hour and a half before the game. So a late shakeup, Casey Tomanaga gets penciled into the starting lineup. And, well, you didn't really – maybe give the Huskers that much of a chance at that point. They had it within seven a couple of times in that second half, so they were battling, but they uh, ultimately lost 81-65, to Trace Jackson Davis with a triple-double, and Indiana just all around shot the ball really, really well. And then you come to Saturday, number four Purdue, the highest-ranked team to ever play in Pinnacle Bank Arena, and Nebraska has a shot 
scratch that. They have about five shots on one possession to put the game away. They go to overtime, and ultimately the Boilermakers escape Lincoln with a win, 65-62, to and are currently ranked number one in the country. Nebraska 6-5, and five, but the way that they battle in these games, and specifically the defense, too. The defense on Zach Eady was phenomenal. It looked a lot like the defense they displayed against Creighton, but... This team never rolled over. It could have when they went down 14 to Purdue. They battled all the way back. And that was easily the best atmosphere in PBA since I've been going to school here. And it's a shame that they lost, but there's a lot to like about this Fred Hoiberg team. Right. I think that's why you got to say you're not worried. You got to point to that game. Um, Look, because like Creighton has fallen off the rails and just, I mean, it's like a 20 car pileup right now watching the Blue Jays. Uh, it's bad. Yeah. So, the, like, the, again, the question is, okay, is this win over Creighton really even worth anything? Well, yes, it is. I think it really is. Because if you look at the Purdue game, you see, oh, this team is for real. Like, they might not, you know, make the tourney, obviously. They might not reach 20 wins. But they're going to push teams down the stretch consistently, and they're going to be a lot of fun. As long as Sam Griesel and Derek Walker are on the court, this team is is incredibly dangerous. And so that I think that that in a lot of ways is the ideal place for a Nebraska team. Like obviously winning is great, right? Like winning is the ideal place for a Nebraska team, but if you're going to be around and you're going to hang around and you're going to make teams sweat, good teams like number 1 Purdue sweat, then the fans are going to show up the fans are going to be loud, and the fans are going to be off Fred Hoiberg's back. So this is this is an ideal spot right now for Nebraska. And again, like I said, I'm not really concerned. I really am not. Yeah, I'm not concerned either, um, and I agree. I think that that performance against Purdue does show you that this team you know, is as for real as they can be right now, right? And they play Kansas State on a neutral floor in Kansas City on Saturday at 6 o'clock. And if you're a Husker fan, and I don't know about you, but I think you feel confident going into that game that Nebraska can win. Yeah. And that would be a a huge boost because that'll be Nebraska's sixth quad one game, which leads the country. And if you don't know, there's different quadrants that build up your resume for March. There's quad one, two, three, and four. Quad one is the top 75 teams, um, I believe, in the RPI. I might be wrong on that, but it's the top 75 teams in the country. And the fact that Nebraska hasn't been able to do that since Fred Hoiberg has come onto the scene here. They've struggled with, you know, non-power foes. And, you know, you go back to last year, the loss to Western Illinois. His first year, they dropped the first two games of the year. They've struggled with non-conference, non-power opponents. They have not this year. They've taken care of business when they need to, and they have pushed some of the best teams in the country to the wire, and they've had chances to win those games. Now they play Kansas State Saturday, and they play Queens, which is a, a new Division One team on December 20th. They are 8-2, and two, so don't take them lightly. They are a good team. Fred Hoiberg said that a couple of times in his post-game press conference. Then they host Iowa on December 29th, which is a Thursday, and that opens up the rest of Big Ten play. So 
Nebraska, in my mind, needs to take care of business in the next two games because that would put them at 8-5 and five overall heading into the Big Ten. And once you get into the Big Ten gauntlet, obviously it's tough each and every single night. But the way that this Nebraska team is playing with, you know, the amount of physicality and just how gritty the team is, and I know it's kind of a cliche word to use, but it's true. I mean, they work you to the bone, and they make you earn every single thing, especially on the offensive end. So, I mean, this team could be fun to watch down the stretch during this um, during this Big Ten schedule. They do go to Purdue on January 13th. A part of me thinks that outcome might be a little different just because Mackey Arena is one of the best places to play in the conference, but I'm really looking forward to the rest of this conference slate and, and see – and seeing how Fred Hoiberg's team stacks up against teams like Iowa, like Michigan State, who's been up and down, like in Illinois, who started to struggle here recently. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, uncertainty in this Big Ten Conference right now. It's obviously a good conference, but college basketball as a whole, especially in the Big Ten, any team can lose on any given night, and I think that favors Nebraska a Yeah, lot. I was looking while you were talking to try to find, like, th- guaranteed wins on Nebraska's schedule. I can only find three. Uh, I would say Queens, North Carolina is a win. I would say Minnesota on the road is a win. And I would say Northwestern at home is a win. Like, other than that, like, (laughs) other than that, every game is either a toss-up or likely loss or, you know, it's like, that's that's the Big Ten schedule. I think everyone will be close. I I would like to think so. Uh, But... You know, you still got to win 11 games to get to 15 wins somehow in here, and that's that is gonna be hard because because Penn State is not a slouch. Ohio State is pretty talented. Purdue's obviously really good. Illinois is struggling, but we've seen them compete really well with the best nationally already this year. Michigan State has also done that, uh, even though they're struggling at times. Iowa, you can push them, I think, uh, but they're still a really talented team and. Again, like they just lost to Wisconsin at home in overtime, but you know they play the same kind of style of basketball that Nebraska does, and it's ugly. Uh, Wisconsin again, same thing. Uh, you get to host Wisconsin. You only play Wisconsin the Badgers once, uh, and it's at home. But again, like it's hard to find guaranteed wins anywhere on here. And again, Nebraska needs eleven to get to fifteen wins, which you know is, I think, a. a I would say it's an acceptable goal for this team, um, but maybe not necessarily, you know, a reachable one. I, I don't know. I, I think it's acceptable. I think it's. I think at this point in the game, you can say Nebraska needs to get to 15 wins. Well, don't sleep on Wisconsin. I know you brought them up, and I'm glad that Nebraska doesn't have to go to the Cole Center because I think honestly they're one of the most overlooked teams in this entire conference because. Not many people sure were sure what they were going to look like with no Johnny Davis, no Brad Davis in anymore. But, I mean, this Wisconsin team is good. And you mentioned they, they just went on the road and beat Iowa in overtime. They beat Marquette on the road at the Pfizer Forum. And Marquette's been pretty good this year to start the year, which not many people expected. I think Wisconsin is definitely a team to look out for. You mentioned guaranteed wins. I don't even know if Northwestern is right now. Because they'll have a night where they look really, really good. But they'll also have a night where they lose by 30 to Pitt at home, which has happened this year. So that's a team that's really hard to gauge. I do agree with you on the Minnesota. They just they are not very good this year. Um, Penn State has been solid, as you mentioned. Um, Nebraska gets them twice on the schedule. Um, Illinois, we've seen what they can be. Nebraska gets them twice on the schedule. Michigan State, 
They've been up and down. Nebraska gets them twice on the schedule. So, you know, it it may seem like, and there's this three-game stretch towards the end of the season, which includes Maryland, who's been very good this year. Again, another team that not many people expected to be very good. They are very good this year. They have a big game against UCLA tonight. Minnesota and Michigan State on the last week or so of February, and those are all at home. Now, if Nebraska does what they need to do and take care of business, and maybe not a you know a tournament watch, but maybe they run the table and try and get into the NIT here, which would be something. The, the NIT would be a NIT, win. But, hey, it's better than winning 10 games. The NIT would so be a win. That could be a big stretch. Yes, absolutely. I think, I think as of right now, the goal is 500 or better for this for this squad, which is crazy to think about because I remember I was talking about this team and previewing this season, and I think I said this is probably the worst team that Fred Hoiberg has ever had. And boy, have I been proven wrong. I'm glad I've been proven wrong, but our our takes are aging like milk, and it's just not. Yeah, good. I mean, look, <laughs> they have done what they said they were going to do: pass the ball well. And play defense. Like, I, in my time watching mm-hmm. Fred Hoiberg teams, obviously this is the best defensive team they've ever had. Uh, but I think more, oh, more yeah. importantly, it's the hardest working team they've ever had. And to play zone at this level, which they do consistently, you have to bust your ass. And they do it time and time and time again. I, like, watching them scramble against Purdue, like, you give up the occasional open look. You do. But for the most part, teams have struggled to knock them down. And I think, again, in large part, it's due to how well Nebraska scrambles. They do an excellent, excellent job of basically moving laterally side to side across the court and rotating. Uh, and that is just an, a, cre- it's a credit to the coaching staff. It's a credit to the new hires that Coach Hoiberg made. It's a credit to guys like Emmanuel Bandamel. Uh, you know, Sam Griesel, Derek Walker, leaders of this team. It's a credit to guys on the edge like Casey Tomonaka who have to run around the whole dang arc. Uh, this team scrambles incredibly well, and it's the biggest reason why they've been so successful in my mind. Yeah, the defense has just been phenomenal, and the guys have really bought into that end of the basketball, and you mentioned the rotations. Yes, you give up the occasional open look, Um Purdue wasn't able to hit them. I mean, more times than not, they were missing those open threes, especially at the end of regulation. They had a good look to win that game in regulation, and they couldn't convert. And you know, you give, you said you got to bust your ass on defense in a system like this. And when you say that, that makes me think of you know, obviously Emmanuel Bandamel has been great defensively, and he was out there throwing the bones on Saturday. But when you say that, it makes me think of of one individual as of right now, and that's Sam Greasel, because he was out there, and granted, he didn't have the greatest offensive performance, which is fine, but he was very sick on Wednesday, couldn't play, barely practiced the days leading up to Purdue, I was told, and he went out there against Purdue, and he played, I'll get you the minutes here in a second, but he was all over the floor getting loose balls, getting rebounds, blocking shots, hustling back on defense. I mean, he was doing everything that you would expect a player to do when healthy, totally. He played 38 minutes in this game after coming off of an illness. I mean, that is – you want to talk about – we talk so much about how Sam Griesel is is the hometown kid and how much he cares about this team and how much he wants to win with this team. 
I think you just take that, the sickness, and 38 minutes, you put those two together, and there's a reason why he is here. He only had five points, but he had eight rebounds. Um, he had four assists, only had one turnover. Um, he had a couple of steals as well. I mean, he was getting it done when the offensive side of the ball wasn't working for him, and I give him a ton of credit Yeah, he's for that. been invaluable. And this team doesn't just go down the floor. They're smart offensively too. I think that's another thing, right? Like, And, and those are two mm-hmm. qualities of a great team, right? You work really hard defensively, and you're very efficient and intelligent with your offensive possessions. That's something Nebraska has not been in years past, and they are that this year. And it's so odd because, again, they're not just jacking up threes like they did in the past. And somehow, lower lower quality shots, lower quality shots than last year have gone in. And and, and at timely moments. I I can think of multiple Keisei Tomonaga threes. Uh, I can think of... (laughs) I can think of the... uh, I think it was Bandamel who had a deep three from the right side late in that game yeah. and then Greasels hit a deep three it was either against I think it was against Creighton was Greasels but like those shots he did those shots were way downtown and contested and somehow they go in and I don't know why that is but look again just I wouldn't say things have been perfect offensively they have their you know they have their share of train wrecks but you know they have been a lot a lot smarter and that that is another big piece for them I think and I think, and it'll be interesting too if they can get they can get Wilcher going at some point if things change, because uh, he's had a really rough stretch uh, here recently, and that'll that'll be another wrinkle for this offense if they, if they can get him to the point where he's productive, his teams start start to pay more attention to Casey Tomanaga if you can get Wilcher more involved. Yeah, I think he would have been a huge piece on Saturday. He went over six, over three from three, but. You're right. If they can get him going, that would be huge. You mentioned the shot selection has been a lot better this year. At times, this Nebraska offense has struggled. I mean, they did shoot 31% from the field against Purdue, so obviously not ideal there. But the quality of looks have been a lot better. Um, and, you know, there's been every now and then you mentioned the KSA threes, and, and I'm up in press row during that game for the student radio station and I'm doing color so I'm not you know calling the play as it's approaching but I for, I, I think it was a block or a turnover or something and they push it up to Casey up the far sideline and this was the three that he hit to make it a four-point game after the 10-0 run and I'm just like doing as much as I can without saying anything that picks up in the headset saying no, slow down, <laughs> do not take this shot. And I see Keisei Tomonaga just pull up from the right wing. I'm like, of course. And then he just drained it. I was like, I was stunned. My jaw was on the floor. The place exploded. It's one of the loudest I've ever heard PBA. Um, and <laughs> I just couldn't help myself but like honestly laugh about it during the commercial break. I was like, this is the type of shot that we would see 10 to 15 times a game last year. And Casey does it in the most timely moment ever and just sinks it. I don't know the science behind it. I don't understand why. But give credit to Casey. That kid is playing with probably the most confidence on the team right now. He had 19 points, 6 of 12 from the field, 4 of 8 from 3. Every time he touches the ball right now, it feels like he's going to do something special with it. And um, the the ta- like we I've been talking to people about it as well. And the 
the progression and the jump from year one to year two of Casey has been absolutely night and day. Now, does he have his off nights? Absolutely. I mean, Creighton is, is a good example of that. But when he is on, man, he is on. And good luck, anybody trying to contain that game. Yeah, for whatever reason, he's playing as advertised right now. I, I really don't know why that is. But he's fun to watch. And he plays with, I think, probably the highest, the most energy of anybody on that team, too, which is which is also a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. I mean, you give him 26 minutes off the bench, 50% shooting. I mean, that's a spark. And you mentioned Derek Walker, Sam Greasel. Those are your first two options. Well, Greasel didn't have it going offensively. So who do you turn to? Bandamel had a solid offensive game. He had 14 points, so he was a nice little fill-in offensively. Uh, and then Casey, 19 off the bench. So that was really your third option. But other than that, only four other Huskers scored. Juwan Gary had six. Uh, Greasel had five. Blaze Cada had two, and Wilhelm had two. Um, and Wilhelm Bryant, he only played three minutes in that game. I'm surprised we didn't see Cada more. He played 12 minutes in that game. Um, and I was, I, I told you about this before the game. I was talking to Robin Washett, who you work with with Husker Online, and I was talking to him. I was like, how do you defend Edie, if at all, and who do you go to if Derek gets in foul trouble? And we were you know, kind of sorting through the bigs on the team. I mean, do you go to Cato, which was the most popular second option? Do you go to Wilhelm? Do you go to – do you even consider Oleg off the bench just because of his height? I don't know. Um, but what they did worked. I mean, Edie had 11 points. He had 17 boards, but that's just going to happen when you have a 7-foot-4 dude. And he have, the by hoop. the way, he averages but he, had 11 he averages points. 20 a game, right? Like Yes, he averages 22 Yeah, that's a, a win. Him, him scoring 50% of his average is a huge win. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And this is a dude who is, you know, the front runner for the Wooden Award right now. So I think they did as, as good of a job as they could against Zach Eady. And I did not envy Derek Walker having that task because being on the court pregame and seeing that dude warm up, he is the biggest human I've ever seen in my life. It is not close. I don't come anywhere near his shoulders, the top of my head does not come anywhere close to, you know, where he stands. So he he's literally like a foot and a half taller than than the both of us, which is amazing. And he's not like he's not skinny. He's he's really strong, which is something that, you know, Purdue Bigs have kind of lacked in the past. You think of Matt Harms is one that comes to mind and you know, he was seven plus feet, but he was so skinny. But Edie, he's so under control. He's so strong and obviously so tall that makes him arguably, if not the biggest threat in the entire country. And there's a reason why I produce the number one team in the country. And I think that that number one ranking gives Nebraska a little bit of respect too because that shows the AP voters saying, hey, well, just because it's Nebraska, I mean, they put up a damn good fight and they've put up damn good fights here in the past couple of weeks or so. And this team's definitely improved a bunch. So I think that, you know, gives Nebraska a little bit of credit there too in the AP voting process. One more thing before we wrap up, and I hate to wrap it up on kind of a, a bummer note, but yesterday um, the Pirates, Mike Leach at age 61, he passed away, head coach of Mississippi State. He was with Washington State, Texas Tech, and a bunch of other schools. Uh, but he was a head coach that was known for his charisma rather than how he coached. And, you know, he has so many viral online moments and so many things that um, so many people, you know, laugh about. And um, 
it's a, it's a shame that he has has gone now. But um, I mean, what you can do is just kind of look back and and at the moments that he made you laugh and and all those good things. And he was a regular on the show that I work at um, for Hale Varsity. So um, they actually had him on, Chris and Elijah, who's been on our program too. Um, they had him on literally last week. Um, so yesterday was kind of a, a tribute episode, if you will, to Mike Leach. But um, it's sad to see him go. So many good moments from the Pirates. Grant, do you have one that sticks out to you at the moment i mean yeah, there's so many uh, there are I, I do want to say though like he i mean he he deserves a lot of credit for developing basically the air raid offense as we know it um and so i mm. i think there is a lot like there is a lot to be said undoubtedly for what he provided to the sports world in terms of you know his viral moments but he did a lot schematically as well um, and I think it's important that it doesn't that doesn't get forgotten. Um, I, I would say there's a lot, obviously, to choose from. I, I think his his rant on weddings was good. Um, I, I do remember <laughs> that one being pretty awesome. Uh, there's a number of ones though that I've either watched with people, shared with people, or watched by myself over the years. And it, you know, by all accounts, he was a really great guy. And so it, it stinks, and to have something happen like that so suddenly, so out of the blue, is you know also always really shocking. But it just, yeah, I, it's. I think I it comes back to college football. The world in general is a more boring place without him, and uh, he will be greatly missed. And it's it's really incredible to see the amount of lives uh, that he has touched around uh, around this country. He is truly uh, a national treasure uh, in in college football, and, and he will be missed. Thoughts and prayers with his family and uh, the kids on that football team as well. They're set to play a bowl game against Illinois on January 2nd, so um, we'll see how that pans out. But um, we just had to touch on that just real quick because that's big news, A, and, and B, uh, a lot of people love Mike Leach and, and all of his funny moments. So... That was something that we we had to touch on there. But that'll do it for us on episode number 107 of Husker Sports Weekly. We talked Husker Volleyball and their Sweet 16 loss to Oregon. We talked new coaching staff hires underneath Matt Rule. For the Nebraska football program, we touched on women's basketball and their impressive bounce back from a couple of losses. And we touched on Nebraska men's basketball, who seem to be, for now legit and we'll see how that moves on going forward kansas state saturday at 6 p.m in kansas city so once again that'll do it for us on episode number 107 you can find us on twitter at c underscore clark underscore 27 and at hansen not hansen you can find our show on twitter at husker weekly and search husker sports weekly in the search bar of your favorite podcast networks to find our show happy holidays everybody we'll talk to you soon but until then go big red